Even when things aren't going right, even when we look around and we see things, you know, maybe we face some tragic event in life, we're never without hope because of the empty tomb showed that he had power over death, hell, and the grave. And that we can walk in that anointing and that power. This idea that we're never without hope is a true statement. Yet what about those dog days when it doesn't feel that way? You have all those days, you know the truth, you know that there's hope. But you have those days that I'm calling dog days. You're just like, I, I, I know it, but I'm not feeling it today. I was thinking about that this week, and I ran across this Snoopy cartoon. And I thought this was perfect. Guys, can we put the cartoon up on the screen? But it says this. Snoopy says, yesterday I was a dog. Today I'm a dog. Tomorrow I'll probably still be a dog. (sighs) There's so little hope for advancement. You ever felt that? But you know what? While faith, we have this faith, we have this hope. And faith and hope are closely knitted together. The scripture tells us that faith comes by the hearing of the word of God. And and hope is this idea. Faith accepts the gift of the promise. Hope imagines the fulfillment of the promise to come. So we can know in our head that there's this promise that it's going to get better. We can know in our head that there's this promise that if all else fails, that one of these days we will be with him in heaven. We can know all those things, but hope points towards the fulfillment of the promise, gives us that assurance that, you know what, it's not just some dream that's out there, but I can hope. I can put my hope and my trust in that. Yet we all have those moments that we just kind of like Snoopy want to lay our head back on a rock and declare there's little hope for advancement. But can I share with you something today? I did a search. Now I realize it can vary a little bit from, from translation to translation. But did you know in, in, in general, 182 times in this book, it addresses hope. That's a lot of hope. I came to the realization as I was working on this message this week that, you know what? It would be so easy knowing how much this book says about hope that we literally could do the rest of the year on a, on a sermon series about hope. We're not, but we could. But the point is that this idea of hope rising, hope is a reality. You know, Jesus came and he rose again to bring us hope. And, and if you look at it from the very beginning of Scripture, all the way back in Genesis, even when man fell, even things when things were falling apart, from, even from way back then, the God's Word points towards, but there is, there is hope because there's coming a day. And then last week we celebrated the results of that day of Jesus coming and living his life and dying on the cross and raising again on the third day. And ever since then, we can point back to hope and say, because of that day, I'm never without hope. From cover to cover, this book is about hope. 
But too often, the one thing that the Bible never does say about hope is it never uses hope in a negative kind of like we do. How many of you have ever been guilty of saying, not necessarily mean if you say, I hope this gets better. You're not putting a lot of value to the word hope there. You're putting zero value to it, right? But Scripture never declares that. Scripture tells us that there is hope. I have hope because I am a Christian. I don't have to say, I hope I'm a Christian. I don't have to say, I hope things get better. Just like I don't ever have to say, I hope I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm a U.S. citizen because of my birthright. I was born here. We have hope because of our rebirth right. I thought of that this week as I was working on that. And that is something that has just burned in me. I have hope because of my my rebirth right. It is my rebirth right. Because I am born again. Because I have asked Jesus to come in and be my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my very best friend. All rolled into one. I have. It is my rebirth right to have hope. It is assured. It's guaranteed. It's declared. So hope is something, if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have. And Jesus said three things will always remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith has work for us today. Hope points to the rewards of tomorrow. And because of the love of Jesus Christ, we have both Faith and hope. See, hope isn't a dream. Hope is true. And if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have true hope. I thought of that and I had this. Anybody ever, I know I'm a little different sometimes. Anybody ever have just mental pictures pop in your head? I was thinking about true hope, and the mental picture that popped into my head led to this statement. True hope dances in the puddles until the sun comes out again. How many of you know that many times you see kids, and we, we, we kind of get on to them for dancing in the puddles? You're going to mess up your clothes. But there's something about that joy and that freedom and that expression that you can go out on a rainy day and just dance in the puddles. True hope dances in the puddles until the sun comes out again because they know that, you know what, it may be raining right now. I'm going to enjoy this because that sun's going to pop out again. So as I was thinking about that, my mind went to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and to live life self-controlled, upright, and giving and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I've given today's message as we continue this series on hope rising. True hope. True hope. Not, I hope someday it'll get better, but because of hope, it will get better. 
So I was thinking about that. I thought of this idea of hope, and I came to the realization that there's three basic types of hope. There's no hope, there's false hope, and there's true hope. And I think it's very important we look at that. Let's just think of this, let's look at this idea of no hope. See, we live in a world where there are people all around who feel like that they have no hope. And for those of us that maybe you're here and you say, oh, I know that I have a hope. I'm convinced of that. That's great. But even for us, it's good for us to remember what life was like without that hope. It's good for us to look back. It's good for us to reflect and say, you know what? I'm walking in that faith. I'm walking in that hope right now. But I remember what it was like when I didn't have that hope. Matter of fact, Ephesians 2.12, Paul talks about that. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I remember those times before you gave your life to Christ. When you walked and you didn't have that hope, you didn't have that assurance. Us remembering that, us looking back, should make us look at the world around us with a new level of compassion. Because if we're honest, everywhere we look, there are people that are walking through this life that truly haven't grasped a hold of that hope. They don't understand. There are many who have no hope in this world, and there are neighbors, there are co workers. There are family members. There are many times there are friends. And we have the hope that this world desperately needs. We, we have what they're looking for. We understand, but I'm afraid many times, and I know I'm going to step on some toes here, but I'm afraid so many times we get so concerned about somebody's feelings that we keep our mouths shut. I think we should get a little less concerned about feelings and a little more worried about somebody's eternity. I'm not saying you have to go get in somebody's face. I'm not saying you have to be mean about it or overly aggressive, but there should be something in us that looks at those around us that are walking this world with no hope, something in us that says, you know what, I've got to find a way to help them see that there is hope. You know what it starts with? And so many times we think we've got to have this stretch. You know what it starts with? It starts with calling that person's name out in prayer. Lord, you see them. Lord, you see what they're going through. You see that they have no hope. Lord, begin to open up things in their life. Begin to stir their hearts. Begin to change things so that there's an opportunity. And Lord, you know, this is the dangerous prayer, but Lord, give me the boldness and the guts when you present the opportunity that I will step through that door and share what you've given me. Matter of fact, if we're honest, how many times has God opened the door for us to share and we back away? See, there's something about hope. You know, I, I've done many funerals through the years. Somewhere I felt like I could really give them hope. And some, unfortunately, where I didn't feel like I could. It's an interesting place to be. But I love when you 
Funerals are always sad because you're saying bye to somebody. I understand that. But there is something different about a funeral where you know that that person that you're speaking words over is in God's presence. I love being able to do funerals where I can pull out 1 Thessalonians 4.13 and say, but, say this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Isn't it great where you can say, you know what, I don't grieve as those, I'm going to miss my friend, I'm going to miss my loved one. I've had to lay both of my parents to rest. Kim had to say goodbye to to her younger sister, and we all face those things in life. And it can be a tragic, tragic time. I know that the Salter family just just faced this. This is very, very fresh to them. And and I didn't know you guys were going to be here today, but I feel like God gave me this message for a reason. Because we do not grieve as those with no hope. God has given us this hope. You know, I was able to to be a part of the funerals and say things at my mother and my father's funeral because I knew that there was hope. I'm going to miss them. I still get choked up years later at different times because I think about how much I miss them being around. But I have this hope. I have this guarantee I will see them again. But you know what the saddest thing is? In those moments... When you can't look at somebody and they're facing that grief and you can't say we do not grieve as those with no hope because all you can rightfully say is I'm sorry for your loss. See, as believers that have the hope, when we see those that have no hope, we've got to get better at sharing the hope. Sadly, today, one of the major causes of death among teenagers is suicide. Isn't that horrible? This idea that someone, this life is just getting started, feels like there's no hope to the point that they feel like the only hope they have left is to bring an end to the pain. That's not the answer. See, the truth is, we all need hope. God knows that we need hope. At the very beginning, when Ab and Eve sinned, and God was laying out the punishments, God himself made the first sacrifice and and covered them with animal skin. And he also made this statement as he was laying out the punishment because of what they had done. He made this statement. He said, but Eve... Your offspring will crush the serpent's head. He was already in that moment at the very beginning pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ saying the day is coming that that's going to be taken care of. So we're never without hope. But as bad as it is when somebody's out there and they have no hope, guess what? There is something worse than no hope. What's worse than no hope? False hope. Because false hope makes them think that they've got hope when it's non-existent. False hope is living with counterfeit hope that can never be cashed in. 
You ever been given counterfeit money? This was like a couple of years back when I got a call from the bank. We'd make the deposit for the church, and, and I'm sure whoever did it, it wasn't intentionally at all. I don't think for a minute anybody tried to purposely pass phony money, but I, I get a call from the bank. They're saying, uh, there's a problem with your deposit. And I said, well, what? I mean, it all balanced everything. But, well, there's one $20 bill that was counterfeit. So I had to go up to the bank and, and deal with that. And they wouldn't let me take it. I understand why, but, but they showed me the bill. And you look at it, and you're like, okay, this is a $20 bill. It, it looks like a $20 bill. It, 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 all the markings look right and everything. But when you compared it with a real $20 bill, you could see some subtle differences. Because one was real, and the other was counterfeit. And there are people that are banking on false hope. Jesus kind of talked about that in Matthew 7, 21, where he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm sure we've all heard sermons based on this passage of Scripture, and, and there's all kinds of explanations of what he's saying there. But to me, I always go back to what's the basics of what something says in Scripture. And to me, one of the basics we can see is we know for sure that there were that those that were that Jesus was addressing had false hope. They thought they were good, but they weren't. You see, we we we, we too often think of this idea of false hope. We think of somebody that's in, in Africa somewhere or some dark jungle somewhere, and they've got this stone idol set up that they're that they're worshiping and they're bowing before. And you think, oh, those people they're they're putting their hope in the wrong things. They've got false hope, and, and that's true. But actually, if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably more people in this nation that have false hope than those that have no hope. There's probably more people that think they're okay, that think they've got this thing figured out. They're putting their hope and their trust in something that isn't the truth. Because false hope can be found all around us. And this passage makes it clear that these people Jesus is talking about thought they were Jesus' followers. He continued on in verse 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice what Jesus said there. Jesus called them lawless. After previously saying that the ones that made it would be the ones who does the will of the Father. So to me, that has to be the key. The will of the Father versus lawlessness. Some were putting their hope in the wrong thing. They had false hope. Now we can, I've heard people try to do this and, and we can get carried away with all kinds of what's Jesus talking about here. I think the test is very, very simple. I think you can flip over to Luke chapter 6 and you can find the whole test right here of whether or not you have true hope or false hope. Luke 6, 47, 48. 
Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So my thought is this. How does the foundation of your hope stand when you face life storms? Because we're going to face them. Storms are going to happen. We're in the storm season in, 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 in this area we live in. Storms are going to happen. It's just a matter of where they hit and how they hit and when they hit. But it's going to happen. And most people don't want them. Now, if you're a roofer or there's some certain deal, they're probably excited about the storm season. But most of us aren't. But storms are going to happen in life. And those that have false hope, it says, are like the foolish man who built their house on the sand. And false hope comes in so many different forms. There are some that, that think that drugs and alcohol will, will allow them to escape the things of this life for a season, but that's false hope. Some people think they can steal somebody else's possessions and somehow getting something for free will bring them a little joy and hope in their life. That's false hope. The husband or the wife who is unfaithful and thinks that somehow finding those affections outside of the marriage bed will help them, but that's false hope. The person who sells out for more zeros in their bank account in whatever fashion, that's false hope. But it isn't just simple practices. Can I say this? You can check all the boxes. You can attend church regularly. You can be a member. You can give in the offering. You can volunteer in some capacity, but those things in themselves, if that's what you're depending on, it's false hope. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about this, Eli's sons. Eli was the high priest. They were doing all kinds of stuff in the church, and they were as lost as lost could be. See, too often, I think, <clears throat> well-meaning Christians even give false hope. Speaking about funerals earlier, I went to a funeral one time, and I'm sitting there, and it was a tragic funeral. And the person that was laying in the casket there was somebody that there was nothing in their life that indicated any kind of relationship with Christ whatsoever. But I watched as the preacher that was standing up there delivering the message referred back to way back in a Sunday school class. And he was saying that because the kid prayed this one prayer, that it didn't matter what he lived like the rest of his life, that he was good. It's false hope. Yeah. 
And so many times we can, we can think those things. Now, I, I thank God for his grace. But you know what? Really, to me, salvation ought to have a little bit of an asterisk at the bottom. Now, I'm not, don't get carried. I'm not getting outside the bounds of Scripture here. Just bear with me for a moment. There should be an asterisk at the bottom that says, Some maintenance required. Because, yes, God gives us the gift of salvation. It is free. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for all he does. But there has to be something in that relationship with Christ that we grab a hold of. I'm afraid that too many that truly had no encounter with Christ, that because somebody coerced them into praying some prayer somewhere, they're walking this earth thinking that they're okay, and it's a false hope. I would love, to me it would be fun to one Sunday, I hope someday we can do this. It's just a dream of mine. To some Sunday, for nobody to have any idea. It would be the coolest thing in the world to have a, a key, to a set, a set of keys to a car hitting under a chair. And everybody comes in and we're having a service. And all of a sudden in the middle of the service I say, all right, everybody reach in underneath your chair. Because one of the chairs has a set of keys under it. And, and somebody reach in and all of a sudden they realize that there's a pair of keys to a new car sitting under their seat. And we're able to say, that is yours. It is a free gift. You did nothing to earn it. You can have it. Enjoy your new car. And it would be. It would be a free gift. It would be something that they, that they didn't earn. There's nothing they could do. It was there. All they had to do was just accept the gift. Praise God. But guess what? There would still be some maintenance required. It's a free gift, but there's some maintenance required. See, Jesus said, what he said here in this passage, he was basically making the statement, you know, some people were surprised. But Lord, we did this in your name. Lord, we did that in your name. And and can you imagine the shock when he looked at him and said, depart from me. I never knew you. See, false hope can come in many forms. It can be false doctrine. It can be so many things. And false hope is far worse than no hope at all because if you know that you're hopeless, at least when you see true hope, you know that that's what I've been missing. If you're holding on to a false hope, somehow you have to come to the realization that you're holding on to counterfeit hope. And pray that somehow you can see the difference between real hope and false hope. I really think it comes down to this. I think the old hymn got it right. Trust and obey. There is no other way. We have to trust in him. We have to obey what his word says. If If you're believing in a hope that's outside of what his word says... You're off the mark. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope. 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Can we earn our salvation? Absolutely not. So what is this good works? Good works is simply doing what Jesus said. Does that earn us our salvation? No. But what it is is obeying the one that gave himself for us. And it's the commandments that lead to life. It's the maintenance on this relationship that we have. You ever noticed, man, when you're, when you're praying on a regular basis, when you're spending time in the Word, when you're attending church regularly and you're hanging around people, have you ever noticed how much easier it is just to live a sin-free life? You know what I'm talking about? You just you get on that roll and you're like, man, this is easy. You know, all that stuff I used to struggle with, man, that's in my rearview mirror. That's far away. Man, I can't believe I used to do that. Stop praying. Stop reading the Bible, stop attending church, and all of a sudden that thing that you thought you had victory over will raise its ugly head again. It's part of the maintenance. There are also those that believe in religions without Christ. They have a false hope. Those that are walking around with false hope are all around us. We have to pray for them. Jesus in verse 16, right before he talked about the, the, the solid rock and the sandy foundation, he said, you will know them by their fruit. But here's the good news. You know what I loved about that $20 counterfeit bill? It meant that there was a such thing as a real $20 bill. Right? I made the statement earlier that, you know what, we have a box up here, and just because somebody put a fake $20 bill in there doesn't mean we're going to quit taking the real ones. We'll deal with the fake when they happen. Although that's the only time that's ever happened. But my point is this, is that thank God that there is a true hope. Thank God that because of that true hope, we can dance in the puddles while we're waiting for the sun to come out again. We're going to face stuff. Things are going to happen. But we can have faith in our true hope. Titus was talking, Titus is talking about verse 4 through 7. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we have become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Interesting term there, justified. What does justified mean? It's a theological, it's a biblical term. And, and if, you know, if you've 
gone to Bible school and stuff, you, you, you understand that. But many times in our, in our culture today, there's words that we use that in the normal conversation people have every day, it doesn't mean the same thing. For instance, we, we would take the word justified and we'd say, oh, well, I was justified in doing that wrong thing because they made me mad. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not justified in our sin. We're justified from our sin. Or maybe you would say, well, the word justified to me means, because I do a lot of word processing, it means that I've got all the edges on my pages justified just right so that it spaces the words all automatically just right so that the edges and the lines, how many are neat freaks and the lines of your documents have to be straight on both sides? But if you think about it, that's probably a little closer to the actual meaning. Because there's something about when we're justified with Christ, that means we're aligned with His Word. That means we're aligned the way we're supposed to be. And that also means that it's just as if we're never sinned. That we are literally, what it means is to be made right with God. That we're justified by faith. There's only one hope. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I love what it says in Hebrews 6.19. It says, we have this as sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What's the curtain he's talking about there? If you look back in the Old Testament... There was a curtain that separated where the people could get from the Holy of Holies. That was the place where God dwelt. His presence was so real and so strong that you just didn't wait in there. Or you wouldn't be coming back out. It was holy. The high priest could only go in once a year. And that was to, to cover the, the atonement for the sins of the people. And he had a very strict process that he had to go through. He had to ritually cleanse himself. He had to pray. He had to make sure that he offered the right sacrifices. And then he would go in to, to literally, in a sense, push all the sins of the community back another year, looking forward to the hope of Jesus' final sacrifice. He literally would go in with bells around his garment so that they could hear that he was moving, that it was still good. He had a rope tied around him so that if if things weren't right and he lost his life in there, that that nobody would have to go in after him. They could just drag him back out. How many want that job? I mean, can you imagine? I don't care who you are. That'd have to be just a little bit of... Okay, let's see, did I, do the, did I do the ritual right? Did I do the cleansing right? Okay, are you sure that was a spotless lamb we sacrificed? Right? And can you imagine walking up and like stepping in? I'm still alive. <laughs> but you can imagine. That was the atmosphere. But Scripture tells us that when Jesus uttered those words, it is finished. That curtain was ripped from the top to
to the bottom, meaning that we could go directly, had access to the throne of heaven. We could go directly to the Holy of Holies. We don't have to go through anybody else. Jesus paid the way. Now, we picture in our minds, or at least, at least maybe you do this, this little curtain like we put in our homes, but that's not what it was. Did you know it was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and 5 inches thick? That's not a curtain. That's a cloth wall. So it wasn't some accident of the earthquake that took place when Jesus gave his life that that was ripped. It was an act of the hand of God saying, there is no longer a separation between you and the Holy of Holies. You have access to my throne room. What an incredible thing. What a thought. No wonder, he says, we can boldly bring our needs before his throne. Because of the cross of Christ and his resurrection, as I said last week, we are never without hope. And because of the true hope, we can dance in the puddles until the sun comes out again. I am so thankful for that. Praise God for that. See, the truth is, we need to grab hold of that hope. We need to realize that that hope is our rebirth right. But I also believe, as we get some music in the background, that there are probably, just like there's three kinds of hope, there are probably three kinds of people in the room today. Those that perhaps you said at times, I just, I don't have any hope. I need hope. Or perhaps maybe some ways we have talked through some of this today, you've, you've said to yourself, you know what, I, I, I've kind of seen that I've perhaps been putting my hope in the wrong place. I've got some false hope. Or maybe you're here today and say, oh, I believe. I have the true hope. Praise God. But you know people that have no hope, but false hope. And we got to get better with bringing them to the true hope. So the truth is, there's hope work for all of us. We need to get about his business.